0: Bring the love of Wisconsin's outdoors in through the beauty and quality craftsmanship of Pella windows and doors. Lock in your prices by February 28th and get 0% interest for up to 48 months. Visit pellawi.com.
1: Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank, get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin.
2: Welcome to the program. It is one of the reasons why, in April, if you get a chance to vote on the Constitutional Amendment, which would expand the scope of and the ability of judges to detain people on bail. It's so important why you vote yes. Let me tell you the story of Tani A. Gregory. And if you want some more details on this and you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. But last last September, Tani Gregory, who is 21 was arrested in Waukesha and charged in Waukesha Circuit Court with misdemeanors, possession of THC, which is marijuana, and resisting or obstructing an officer. All right? A signature bond. He was released on a signature bond, and that means the bond was $1,000, but he doesn't have to post it. He just has to promise that he will pay it if he violates the conditions of his bond. So signature bond, the conditions, I'm looking at it right now. He's not to use or possess any controlled substances. He's not to possess drug paraphernalia. He's not to operate a motor vehicle unless properly licensed. And he's to comply with all licensing restrictions. Okay, so it, it's misdemeanors. They let him out on a $1,000 signature bond. He fails to show up. ...for a court hearing that I believe was scheduled for December 9th of last year, and they issue an arrest warrant. So um, he's tracked down, he is then found, he comes for another hearing, and they decide to release him uh, again they reinstate the signature bond for him um, on september uh, on december 16th and continue the conditions of his bond which again is not to operate a motor vehicle unless properly licensed etc cetera, etc cetera. now why am i telling you this because you may remember a story now this is he is re-released on the signature bond mid december on the Waukesha charge after he didn't appear and you've got all these conditions Because we talked about this. Let me tell you what Tani Gregory did within an hour on February 6th. He was out on bail again. And the instructions are he's not supposed to drive or anything like that. Right. Unless he's got a proper driver's license, uh, which um, I doubt that that's the case. So 415 in the afternoon. Whitefish Bay police see him going fifty one miles an hour in a twenty five mile an hour zone near Santa Monica and Lancaster in Whitefish Bay. This is right, right by Santa Monica and Hampton. And I used to live in this area for thirty years. It is a very busy area. There's schools around there. This is four fifteen in the afternoon. At Santa Monica and Henry Clay, police attempted a traffic stop, and prosecutors say Gregory Gregory. Briefly stopped before reversing and pulling forward in an attempt to maneuver past a squad car. Police noticed there was a passenger in the vehicle before the driver sped off in reverse until there was an opening in the median on Santa Monica. Police again tried stopping the SUV, but the driver reversed, pulled forward again, trying to get past the squad, reversing in the wrong direction at 40 miles an hour, nearly striking parked cars and causing other drivers to take evasive action. Gregory reversed over a median, hit a squad car. Officers then positioned their vehicles for a high-risk traffic stop. All right. By the way, this is the same guy that, after not showing up in December, is now still out on the bail. Remember, a condition was that he he not, you know, operate cars without a license. Hmm. An officer was able to grab onto the steering wheel through the open driver's side window while other officers pulled the passenger from the SUV. Prosecutors say Gregory pulled forward and an officer, fearing he would be hit, drew his service weapon Gregory then sped off the complaint, says it is a miracle that somebody did not die in this incident. Whitefish Bay police pursuit was terminated when officers lost sight of the SUV. About 45 minutes later, around 5 o'clock, police spotted um, the vehicle at 71st and Hampton. Gregory again sped away. A Milwaukee police pursuit ended when Gregory crashed into a pole in an alley between 77th and 76th. The complaint says the vehicle rolled over. Two other squads also struck poles as the 2.1-mile pursuit came to an end. Prosecutors said it reached speeds of 80 miles an hour, more than double the speed limit in the area. Undaunted, after the crash, Gregory took off running, scrambling through yards in the neighborhood near 77th and Catherine, where he was eventually taken into custody. Prosecutors say he had THC and cocaine on him. Oh, by the way, as a condition of the bail from September, in addition to not driving uh, a motor vehicle unless properly licensed. He was not to use, possess any controlled substances and or drug paraphernalia. I bring this up not necessarily to criticize the initial judge in Waukesha for setting a, a stupid low bail on the guy, because I, I understand that the original charges were just like possession of marijuana and a resisting charge. They were misdemeanors. Once he failed to show you would think that, that maybe at that point in time you would think about maybe increasing the, the, the bail, maybe to a cash bail or something like that. But it's, I bring this up simply because we now understand bail in these many cases is such a joke. It's just a flat-out joke. You have this dangerous loser. He's in court in December. You tell him, okay, we're going to let you loose We're not going to make you post any bond, but we expect you to comply with all these conditions. And less than two months later, he's involved in an incident where, like I say, it is but for the grace of God that police officers and or innocent people are not killed. And you might ask, you know, what's going on now? Well, he's in custody, but he's only in custody on a $20,000 bail. You know, he's only in custody on a $20,000 bail. Now, my guess is there's not going to be anybody that's going to come forward and post this. But as I mentioned on my Twitter account, again, you can follow me. It's at Wagner 620 If this guy is somehow able to find someone to post bail for him, does anybody think the cash bond will stop him from committing more crimes? And this is why. This constitutional amendment to the bail provisions is so important because the judge is able, would be able to take into account the fact that this guy committed these crimes while he was out on bail. Conditions of bail clearly were not sufficient to deter him from committing crimes. And maybe this is one where we just say, don't pass go, don't collect $200, and don't get out on the streets, period. Because we know just telling you not to do things doesn't work at all. And once again, I, again, I'm not going to criticize the walker ju- judge for setting the initial bail, which we now learn in retrospect was way, 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 way too low to stop him from committing other crimes. But I do point out this is what you deal with on a daily basis in the court system where you have defendants who, who just don't care about conditions of release. They don't care about public safety. They are menaces, and they belong behind bars. Now, the charges, um let's see, Greg- Tony Gregory is looking at Fleeing officers, first-degree recklessly endangering safety, misdemeanor bail jumping, two counts, vehicle operator fleeing eluding police, and second-degree recklessly endangering safety, plus resisting an officer. My guess is there's probably some more charges that you could bring. But that is the saga of Tani Gregory out on the streets and almost killing a police officer. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about this very, very tragic traffic situation that happened in December, there's a new report out from the Wauwatosa Police Department, and candidly, it it perhaps leaves open more questions than it answers. I'll describe that, and we'll discuss in just a moment. In my opinion, the Milwaukee Department of Public Works has a lot of explaining to do. Let's flash back to December thirteenth. And if you can remember this, there was the truck, the the, the heavy duty truck that was used to fill potholes. Remember the, the film of this? Driving at a high rate of speed, southbound on Mayfair Road. It slams into cars that are parked, I think it was Wisconsin on the corner of Wisconsin Avenue and Mayfair Road big fireball 85 year old man dies a 40 year old woman who were in separate cars they die as well as the truck driven by a department of public works employee her name is Denise Dura she was 64 years old okay so here's here is the story first question was okay why why was this truck This DPW truck, what was it doing in Wauwatosa at the time? So there's a report that's been issued by the Wauwatosa police. What it says is that Ms. Dora and her partner were um, out and about. The partner had a migraine, so the pair went to an urgent care on North Mayfair Road. Once there, Dora, the public employee, works employee, said she was going to drive home to pick up her credit card while her coworker was getting medical attention, so she leaves the coworker at the urgent care and apparently drives home to in the the, the, the the public works truck to get the credit card. All right, on her way back is apparent when is apparently when she has this incident loses control of the truck, drives at the high rate of speed, and ends up killing two people. All right, now here's where it gets interesting, and this is according to the Wauwatosa Police Report. Her supervisor, and and by way of background, she had worked for the department for a a couple. She had worked for the department for a couple of of years, and um, she had done various, you know, had various positions with the department. But uh, she started work at the city in April of 2018 um, as a DPW parking enforcement officer. In January of 2022, she moved to sanitation services as a city laborer. All right. Then in April of last year, she moved to street maintenance within the infrastructure division where he was assigned to a pothole filling crew. Oh, OK, that's fine. But here's the deal. Her supervisor told police that she had mentioned to him that she had seizures. But were under control with medication. Um her co-worker did most of the driving because she had heard that this woman would fall asleep behind the wheel. Although she said to police that in the three months they had worked together, she hadn't noticed that happened. Her niece and daughter said the lady had seizures for years. Her daughter described the seizures as stress induced and said they would come on quickly and it would take 15 to 20 minutes to recover. She said she didn't know if her mother took medication for the seizures. Oh, okay, so now you're, you're getting this pattern that's there is the supervisor and apparently other people know that you've got this employee who's driving one of these big trucks who is prone to seizures. DPW Declines to answer, and the local newspaper pursued this. The DPW declined to answer questions following the release of the police report and instead issued a general statement. It said, generally, the department monitors the driver's license status of employees who must drive as part of their jobs and takes all appropriate steps if it becomes aware of any condition or restriction on an employee's ability to drive. These steps include communicating with the employee's health care provider to confirm his or her ability to drive safely and perform other job functions. She had a valid driver's license. Okay. Our number. And then, of course, they go on to say, for confidentiality reasons, we are unable to indicate how any of this might have applied to a specific employee because we're in litigation. But the bottom line here is you have th- this lady who apparently is known to have seizures, and she's out there driving this truck and she's at least got access to drive the truck by herself. Now, this is an unfortunate situation, no matter how you cut it. There's no doubt about it, and it doesn't sound like to me there was any um, malfeasance involved. She had this medical condition. But the question, I guess, becomes, what's going on at the Department of Public Works? And if you have, I don't know, some knowledge that an employee is prone to seizures, for example— Do you have an obligation to investigate that? Should there have been an investigation? Should there have been a determination? And should she have been behind the wheel of this vehicle in the first place, valid driver's license or not? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, I think quite candidly, the Milwaukee Department of Public Works has a lot to answer for here because... While I understand you have medical emergencies, the question, I think, is, okay, do you as an employer have an obligation, especially if it's true that the supervisor, according to the supervisor, um, had been told by the employee that they had seizures? Should that be a red flag saying, okay, maybe we need to do an investigation and determine whether this lady should be behind the wheel of a truck filling potholes? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. 1620 We discuss in a moment eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, as a former public works employee, there's two problems that jump out. First, she needs a complete doctor's release after she makes known that she has seizures. Yeah, let me just stop there. I, I'm just I'm trying to imagine if if you go in and you tell a supervisor, hey, I, I have seizures, but but don't worry, I'm okay. I, doesn't that send off all these red flags that before you you give them the keys to in in this case a big heavy duty truck, you you do at least a little bit of due diligence to try to figure out okay what's going on, what are the seizures, what's the medication that she's on before you just simply say hey, just just go out and drive. Secondly, they. The public works worker says she cannot use a public works vehicle for personal use as she did. Well, that was kind of my other question. So her, her co-worker who is driving the truck most of the time has migraines, so they drop her off at the urgent care. And this woman decides that she's then going to take the the truck the pothole filling truck and drive to her house wherever that is to pick up her, her credit card I, I wonder I mean I guess I don't know enough about the public works rules but I, I wouldn't think that you'd be able to take city of Milwaukee dump trucks and just drive them wherever you want for personal use but that's just me the bigger issue though is is did people at the department of public works know that she was having seizures and if so what, if anything, did they do to investigate this to determine whether she should be behind the wheel of one of these trucks, understanding that if she does have one of those seizures, which is what I presume happened, you're going to have catastrophic results. Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on WTMJ.
3: Oh, uh, yes. I'm uh, retired. I've been retired for about nine years, but when I worked for the city, they check your license regularly. We have drug testing there. They can do drug tests. I think they do an excellent job. My question is, how did she get her driver's license? When you're at Motor Vehicle, they ask you them questions on there. And then was she under medication? Was she under doctor's care? Well, if they issued her a valid driver's license, then apparently she must have been okay with it, and she must have been under doctor's care. Well, to me, it would be under the – you would look at DMV for issuing the license. And then well, secondly, but, if it, if
2: that but isn't it? wait wait, wait a second, though, Paul. Isn't there a difference between drive I, – I don't disagree with you. To an extent. But isn't there a difference between getting a driver's license and then driving like in this case, a a heavy duty truck at work? And wouldn't you think somebody at the Department of Public Works, if the supervisor did know if she had said she's prone to these seizures, wouldn't you think there would at least be some follow up to determine maybe whether she should be behind the wheel of that vehicle?
3: Well, I'm assuming that because this is their policy that she had to have a commercial driver's license, one, even to drive that truck. So they issued her a commercial driver's license under that, you know, DMV did. Now, if she lied on there and didn't write down that she gets seizures and stuff, but Motor Vehicle or the city of Milwaukee really has no, you know, reason not to let her drive if she has a valid license. I mean, well, as far uh, as medical records, don't they have to get under the FEMA Act? They can't even ask you medical questions. That well, to,
2: well she, no, that, well, no, Paul, no, no. Thanks for calling. No, no, I'm not. No, I mean, this is. See, I guess that, that's one of the. Uh, no. If if you're the supervisor, and again I'm I'm all I have is the Wawatosa police report. Her supervisor tells police that she says that she had, had she told him that she had seizures, but they were under control. My point is once you, you find that out. Don't you have an obligation, regardless of of whether you've got a driver's license or not, to conduct an investigation to determine whether it is appropriate that you should be I mean driving the vehicles? I'm not saying that it wouldn't be an appropriate inappropriate for her to you know, I'm not saying she couldn't do work. I mean, she could get out, she could fill the potholes, she could do all that type of stuff, but being authorized to be behind the wheel of the vehicle. Now, you're suggesting that the the DMV can essentially be deaf, dumb, and blind. and just say, well, no, it's, I mean, she had her license. We can't do anything about it. I can't believe that that would be the case, but I guess we'll see. Hey, Wisconsin, it might be cold out right now. But soon it's going to be warming up and you will need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Wagner Spring Home Improvement Showcase presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank. And this week we're brought to you by Ridgetop Exteriors. Visit their website at ridgetopexteriors.com or give them a call at 414-291-7663. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on WTMJ. Okay. Interesting story. Now, the the big news, what was it, about two weeks ago or so, was that Northwestern Mutual, which is the area's largest employee herb, After operating essentially two campuses, they had their downtown office buildings and they had a second satellite campus in in Franklin that employed like 2,000 plus people. Northwestern Mutual announced that they were essentially bailing on on Franklin. And what they were going to do is they were going to make a a major construction move and they were going to redesign a building and they were going to ultimately move all their employees downtown downtown leaving Franklin, well, leaving Franklin kind of in in the lurch. And the justification for this is Northwestern Mutual said that they think, you know, more of their younger employees would rather be working in a downtown environment, and they figured that this was good for the, the company. On top of that, the city of Milwaukee agreed to help partially underwrite the cost of this. And I don't want to overstate this because they, they, they estimate that this is going to be a $500 million project and as part of this, the city of Milwaukee is in the process of creating one of these tax incremental districts. Um, they're going to be spending about $30 million to help finance this move. So the idea is we, we, we come up, we, we put up $30 million and we're going to get um, all these employees are going to move downtown and we get this $500 million project. So it, it's money well spent. So that's at least the argument. It appears like that is going to happen. Well, You know, we can see whether ultimately that's going to work out well or not. You know, we've talked about some of the pros and cons of this, including where is everybody going to park and things like that. But Northwestern Mutual is committed to this story in the local newspaper. um, While the mayor of Franklin and a city alderman are kind of like downplaying how bad this is, Milwaukee County Board Supervisor Steve Taylor called the move a, quote, poaching of a major employer and he pointed out that Franklin is one of many municipalities that are part of this regional economic development partnership that's known as M7 and this is this is a, a partnership quote unquote which goes back uh, going on 20 years now where you have seven southeastern Wisconsin counties including Milwaukee Kenosha Ozaukee Racine Walworth Washington and Waukesha that are supposedly working together to attract retain and grow businesses, and talents, and the point that the county supervisor is making is that, you know, here, this, this group, we're all supposed to be working together, and, you know, this group has apparently supported and endorsed poaching a major employer that is encouraging Milwaukee to essentially, quote-unquote, steal, if you want to believe that, 2,000 jobs from Franklin, and the supervisor says proving they will always choose the city of Milwaukee over any other municipality in Milwaukee County and then he goes on to say that you know when Northwestern Mutual made the decision to do this they didn't tell Franklin officials of the plan until the day before the company announced it um while apparently they'd been sharing details with Milwaukee officials for months so the i guess that the what they're saying essentially is you know, Milwaukee and Northwestern Mutual, the city of that they, they concocted this this plan where you know Milwaukee was going to lure two thousand jobs from Franklin. They weren't up front with Franklin in discussing this. Milwaukee didn't share it. Doesn't give you the idea that there is much regional cooperation. That's the point. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, did the city of Milwaukee do anything wrong? It, it does seem very very clear that. They probably were involved in efforts to try to lure Northwestern Mutual back downtown at the expense of Franklin. You know, they're willing to put money into doing this. It doesn't add jobs to the region, it just shifts jobs around. But, all right, did the city of Milwaukee do anything that they should feel bad about? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Did Northwestern Mutual do anything that it should feel bad about? We discuss in a moment. So very glad to have you with us. So if you're just tuning in, here's the story. We all know Northwestern Mutual has made the decision that they're going to bail on Franklin. About for like the last, what, 10, 15 years, they've had this satellite facility that's been... I mean, home to like 2,000 plus employees. They have made the decision that they are going to close that facility. They're going to try to sell the buildings, but there's nobody, at least out there right now that's interested, and they're going to move those employees into downtown Milwaukee, and they're going to consolidate their campuses. Um, Obviously, some Franklin officials are upset with this because it hurts the tax base of Franklin. It's not a good thing to have happened from the perspective of Franklin, but um, one of the county supervisors is talking about how, gee, that, you know, they, they've poached a major employer and this is not in the spirit of regional cooperation. 855-6161-620. And we're discussing whether or not Northwestern Mutual or the city of Milwaukee really did anything wrong. And I will tell you, my, my take is, is, is absolutely not. I mean, there is a competition. The reality is there is a competition for, employees and communities compete with each other. And for whatever reasons, Northwestern Mutual, and again time will tell whether they're correct with this, but they made the assessment that they want to move everybody downtown and they want to consolidate, and they'd rather presumably have everybody in downtown Milwaukee than, than out in Franklin. And they've done that for a lot of reasons. Like I say, time will tell whether that's the right decision that they made or not. But the city of Milwaukee actively going out and trying to lure an employer, I have have absolutely no problem with that. And to me, if there's somebody to be upset about, maybe it's officials in Franklin that didn't do more to convince Northwestern Mutual to stay. Now, I'm not sure that they could have, but, you know, you see this, there are a number of major employers, Right Height, Milwaukee Tool, Fiserv, who are moving headquarters from the suburbs, in whole or in part, down to the city of Milwaukee, for a variety of reasons. And that's, to me, that's on, Just like if Milwaukee loses a business and that business decides it's going to move somewhere else, it's it's, it's not, gee, where are they going that should be at fault? It's, okay, could Milwaukee have done more to keep them or not, but the reverse is true as well. I don't see this being something that Milwaukee should get criticized for. Let's see, Jeff. Milwaukee and Northwestern Mutual did nothing wrong. Franklin should be ashamed by the way they're acting. They didn't care about Strauss-Veal either. Well, that's that's a whole other story. The, the, that was just an absolute debacle, the way Franklin handled that. Um Jeff, what's wrong with Milwaukee? They fund this move and deny the meatpacking move. Well, that was the other flip side of that—that that the Strauss veal. But remember, that was that was kind of different. You had some aldermen; they wanted to move the the meat facility. It would have been ideal. They wanted to move it into Capitol Drive, in an area where it, it's been just sort of very desolate. And then you had some of the local officials who were saying, "Oh, we don't think we want a we don't want a meatpacking plant down here." So instead, you know, they've got nothing. I think that's a fair sort of thing. Jeff, what I would be interested in knowing is when Northwestern Mutual moved out to Franklin, what tactics did Franklin use to lure them to build out in Franklin? Yes, yeah, see, I think, you know, that's that is the fair concept that is that is out there. There is a competition. There's a competition within the region. And just because you are part of a collective group that says, hey, we want to lure more business to the region. We want to try to find employers to come and move into southeastern Wisconsin. I don't think it is inconsistent to also say, well, at the same time, you know, Franklin wants to look out for Franklin. West Allis wants to look out for West Allis. You know, Mequon wants to look out for Mequon, etc., etc." And if that means... That okay, you have an opportunity to have an employer, even if the employer is in Franklin or Mequon or Brookfield or wherever, and they're looking at downtown for whatever. I I don't think there's anything wrong with downtown doing everything it can to say, hey, maybe we can put together a package, and this is what we can offer you, and if you want to move, well, well, fine, we're here. It then becomes the burden of the particular suburban community to say, okay, we're going to try to do something to convince you not to leave. And the same would be true in the reverse. So I'm sorry, I understand why people in Franklin might be unhappy with this turn of events. Maybe I understand why some of them feel that they weren't dealt with completely fairly, by Northwestern Mutual, but but at the end of the day, Northwestern Mutual gets to make that call. And if Milwaukee was doing things to try to lure them there, I think all is fair in love, war, and the development of businesses. Follow up to something we we talked about earlier this week. We we a couple days ago when we when Kia and Hyundai announced that they were coming up with this software fix which will make it more difficult to to steal their vehicles. Um we we discussed it and I, I got a call from a, a woman who drives one of those affected cars and she says, Well I I've, I've been put I think this is great because I'm really afraid my car's going to get ripped off and I've been putting the, the club on, all right, to to try to stop that. She went to the Marquette Xavier basketball game, what was that, Wednesday night. So yesterday she sends me a text saying, Hey, you're not going to believe this. I parked You know, in one of the lots around Pfizer Forum and my car was stolen. The club didn't stop people from stealing it, and then she mentioned that the police told her <clears throat> that there were about 25 other cars that were stolen that night. Now, my first question is, I don't know that I've seen that anywhere, but I, I believe that, in fact, it did happen, which makes me wonder if there's sort of this news blackout on how many cars are being stolen. But anyhow, I, I got a, another email from somebody who heard that yesterday. Let me share this with you briefly. Jeff, I was dismayed by the report today about 25 car thefts during the Marquette basketball game last evening evening. This is not the first time it's also happened at Bucks games. I'm an avid basketball fan attending a number of Marquette games, plus I've been a Bucks season ticket holder for 36 years. I've also enjoyed the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. However, I am reticent to attend a performance at their new location. I am seriously considering my safety when venturing downtown, especially in the evening. For the record, I live in Waukesha. I have an office in Elm Grove. I'm not your typical negative suburbanite who's down on downtown Milwaukee. Milwaukee needs to be the vibrant heart of Southeast Wisconsin. Since I moved to Milwaukee from Minneapolis in the early 80s, I've worked downtown and still have numerous clients. I, however, have changed my driving and parking MO. I'm very careful where I park on the street during the day. For basketball games, I only park in expensive ramps like the 5th Street parking structure connected to Pfizer Forum. That's good for the Bucks owners, but it limits the places I can go on or before a game. Lots of reasons why car thefts are out of control, etc., etc. So, in addition to copying me on this, he he sent this to people at at Fiserv. And I I have in my hand the response that that we got. I'm looking at the response from a guy who is the head of security at Fiserv. We work daily with the Milwaukee Police Department to make um, significant investments in our security plan and police support during each event at Pfizer Forum. In addition to the robust security deployment and contracted police support, MPD has provided additional district support during events in the areas surrounding our arena outside of our 30 areas. As you are aware, Sixth and Cherry is well north of our arena and outside of our area of direct support. Even so, MPD specifically places a special emphasis in the 6th and Sherry Street area during ticketed events at Pfizer Forum. We will pass this information and the concerns of our patrons to further work with MPD in maximizing the efforts to continue to provide a safe experience for our fans attending events in the Deer District. I completely understand the frustrations, but know that we have a team working 24-7 to secure the Deer District with extreme focus during events." So in essence, they're saying, we know this is going on and we're, we're making it a priority, but still it ends up happening. I guess the, the bottom line of all this is that this is a, continues to be a, a big deal. And if it is in fact true that you have, for example, 25 cars that were stolen the other night during this game from people who were attending the ball game, whether they're parked A block or two away from the forum, from the Pfizer forum, or whether they're several blocks away. The point is, if they come out and find their car gone, it's going to be a huge problem. And whether it's additional private resources with private security kind of patrolling these areas, working in conjunction with the police department, or whether it's a larger police presence, this is something they've got to get a handle
1: on because it's not getting better. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon,
2: Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I've mentioned this before over the years. When I was in seventh grade at Riverview Middle School, which is long gone, it's now Glen Hills Middle School, but I, I started off at, at Riverview. They had, um, it was one of these kind of like open learning sort of things. And I remember our, our math class. It was, the, a lot of the math class, it was kind of self-taught. In, in other words, you know, you, you, you could work at your own speed and the instructor was there to try to like help facilitate that? It was different than here. Okay, this is what we're going to cover on a particular day, and you could kind of work at your own uh, own speed. And it was kind of an interesting concept. And one of my classmates, his name was Dan, and I, I, I learned this early on. You know, I, I was I, I wanted to I wanted to excel. I wanted to work really hard. I wanted to do really well, and and so I, I tried to apply myself. But I found myself in in the area of math just getting my butt kicked by, by my friend Dan because he was a genius when it came to this stuff. I mean, just really, really good. And it, it just it didn't it didn't matter how much I worked or how hard I worked, he was truly gifted when it came to this, and, and interestingly, he went on, and I think the uh, last time I heard from him, he was working for the National Institute for Health, And but a really, really smart guy, and a nice guy, too, and I remember after middle school, we went to high school, and, and he, I, I went to Nicolay High in Glendale, and at the time, they had this very, very vaunted math department, and, and he immediately went into the honors math class programs and did extremely well, in part because, like I say, he was, he was brilliant and the truth is no matter how hard I worked at math, I was never going to be as good as he was that that was just it because this guy was a genius and I, I also I learned early on that there's like lots of stuff that I'm really good at and maybe I can concentrate on, on trying to, to be the best Jeff that I, I could be but I, I just I wasn't as good as he was I was never going to be as good as he was but I didn't begrudge him, his talent. He was just exceptional. Like I say, there were things that I could do that that he couldn't. And I mean, we all have our our niches. But I think part of the thing is recognizing our individual niches and talent, and then trying to cultivate them. And maybe it's math and science, or you know, maybe somebody's a brilliant athlete, or maybe somebody's got you know a huge ability when it comes to the trade, an incredible mechanical aptitude, and maybe somebody's really good at speech and debate. But the point is, we we all have things that we do really, really well, and. I think that that should be celebrated, and I think it should be encouraged. Which brings me to a story in today's Wall Street Journal. To increase equity, school districts eliminate honors classes. Culver City, California. A group of parents stepped to the lectern Tuesday night at a school board meeting in this middle-class L.A. area city to push back against a racial equity initiative. The high school, they argued, should reinstate honors English classes, that were eliminated because they didn't enroll enough Black and Latino students. The district earlier this school year replaced the honors classes at Culver City High School with uniform courses that officials say will ensure students of all races receive an equal rigorous education. Um, the the parents say, "Look, um, you know, here here's the deal. We really feel that." Equity, in this case, means offering opportunities to students of diverse backgrounds, not taking away opportunities for advanced education and study. The parental pushback in Culver City mirrors resistance that has taken place in Wisconsin. Madison tried to do this, for example. Rhode Island and other places in response to schools stripping away the honors designation on some high school classes. The school districts that do this say students who don't take these classes from a young age start to see themselves in a different tier and come to think that they aren't capable of enrolling in advanced placement classes to help uh, with college admissions and that black and Latino students are underrepresented in advanced placement enrollment in many states. Okay, let's open up the phone lines. Our number, eight five five six one six. 1620, that is the old National Bank talk and text line. If if the school wants to try to figure out more ways to identify gifted students, regardless of their ethnicity or race and and give them the opportunities to get into advanced placement courses, I have no problem with that. But the idea of scrapping advanced placement courses or honors courses for those people who are truly gifted in favor of uniform teaching so that, I don't know, the people like me who aren't as good at math as my buddy Dan was so that we don't feel bad is ridiculous in the extreme, and it's insulting. I mean, at at some point in time, don't we need to recognize that there are people who are really, really talented here and that they are, in some cases, capable of doing work at a much higher level maybe than the average student. So why should we hold them back in a regular class? Or alternatively, you know, just why should we dumb down the honors classes so that they don't have a chance to learn to the, the, the best of their ability? Just so... Okay, those of us who aren't as good as math can feel a little bit better. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. That's like saying, okay, for, for high school sports on a competitive level, what we're going to do is... We're, we're not going to take the best 12 people and put them on a basketball team. We're just going to take everybody on the basketball team, and we're going to let everybody play because we don't want some people to feel bad that some people are better at that than others. 855 And if you've come through like an honors program or you got kids or grandkids that were in an honors program, what would you think about that program being discontinued so your kids' education is dumbed down because you don't don't want somebody else to have hurt feelings. And that's what this really is. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Look, this is a painful topic for me to discuss. I take no pride in publicly acknowledging that I wasn't a genius when it comes to math. But I wasn't a genius when it comes to math. But the idea that some of my friends who I grew up with who were math geniuses should be denied the opportunity to learn to their full potential. We're not going to have advanced placement courses. We're not going to have honors courses because well we don't want people like Jeff to feel, you know, left out or feel bad because you have these other people that are able to exceed. And and, and candidly, if you would have stuck me in the advanced placement math courses, I would have been lost. I just wasn't good at that. Jeff, this is a great way to take a brilliant mind and create boredom, which would lead to poor behavior and many other negative things. Things. Jeff, this is a very personal issue for us. We had a child who is profoundly gifted, and throughout her years in the school systems, instead of meeting her needs, they held her back. So instead of putting her in a fifth grade reading class in kindergarten, they let her literally sit under a table because she was so frustrated that everybody else was learning but her. Every child, regardless of background, etc., deserves an education that meets their needs. That goes for gifted kids. It goes for special needs kids. It goes, goes for all the average kids like me. When we start holding one group back and let another group catch up, um, just think of the loss we have in potential. Let's talk to Denise in Oak Creek. Denise, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff.
0: Um, Hi, Denise. The, the, absolutely stupid. Dumb, stupid, shouldn't be done. You know, uh, frustrating. As as one of your rules of life, you know, life's tough. Get a helmet. What are you teaching these kids? That right. you know, they're, they're the ones that need help aren't going to get help. The ones that are gifted are going to be bored, and it's going to cause trouble. I know I had that problem when I was in school because, yeah. Um, you know, I got held back a year because, believe it or not, California was more progressive in education than Wisconsin was <laughs> back well. in the 70s, you well. know, and I got held back a year because, no, I can't be eight years old in in, in, in fourth grade, you know. Right. So, you know,
2: yeah, and, and I guess my question would be, Denise, too, where... Where are we going to get the next generation of, of brilliant minds in, in whatever area, whether it's the sciences or the arts or, or whatever, if we artificially hold them back at a young age? Oh, th- this kid, this kid is capable of, you know, doing advanced work, but no, we don't want to let them do that advanced work because we don't want other kids to feel bad. No, I mean, that, that's, Th- that's that's how you grow. That's where you, you get the, the brilliance. That's where you get the advances in medical science. I mean, I, I want to encourage that brilliance. Don't we all want to encourage that brilliance?
0: Absolutely, and this is not going to do that.
2: No, thanks for the call, Denise. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. Larry in West Bend. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hey, Jeff. I just wanted to comment. I've got a daughter that's a senior in high school right now, and so... She's going through the admissions process with a couple of different universities. And one of the things they look at is how rigorous your classwork schedule was. So are you taking the AP classes? Are you taking the uh, college-level classes while you're in high school? And if if your high school doesn't offer those, you're going to be at a tremendous disadvantage against the kids whose schools do offer those classes. Right. Not to to
2: mention you're going to be you're going to be behind, even if you do get into those colleges. And I understand what you're saying. It makes it more difficult. But even if you do get into those colleges, you're going to be behind the the kids who've been more challenged at their schools where you've got the advanced placement work. I just the whole thing, Larry, just makes absolutely no sense to me. Don't we want to. Everybody learns at a different level, and don't we want to encourage people to be the best person they can be when it comes to school?
4: You know, and I had a niece that uh, had all kinds of these classes, these AP classes. While she was in high school, she was actually able to graduate from college a semester early because sure. she had taken all these classes. So it was a sure. huge financial savings for her and, my, and her family because in you know, one semester of college, that's a lot of money.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for calling, Larry. I appreciate it. We kind of touched a nerve with this, Jeff. My son is in fourth grade at MPS and is testing at a high sixth grade level in most subjects, but they will not give him any advanced classes. He tells me daily that he is bored. Um, yes, where is my text here? A text from a guy who's a who's a teacher, and he said that, um, and his his point was that you know the quickest way to have gifted children, you know, who who have these real talents, the quickest way to lose them and see the behavioral problems and stuff develop is you put them in an environment where they're not challenged at all. And to me, it it just makes sense. These kids just end up getting bored. Jeff, this is catering to the lowest common denominator. I I don't mean to be harsh about that, but, yeah, it's this idea that, uh, and look, if the argument is you know, that we feel this type of student or that type of student, their, their, their numbers aren't high enough in advanced placement. Okay, to me, there, I guess there's two ways you could do it. The, the, the common way now is that let's get rid of the advanced placement classes. My solution would be okay, let's figure out why this is. What is it that's going on if you have. If you've determined that there's not enough left-handed, you know, blonde-haired kids that are in the advanced placement class, what is it, what's going on, and what can we do, maybe at the earlier levels, to, you know, encourage and develop the, those, those kids, as opposed to simply saying, we're just not going to do this. Um, let's talk to Jane in Muskego. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I'm a retired teacher. 25 years of teaching and i just turned on the radio and heard this and my heart just skipped a beat and i didn't know where this was happening and then your um producer he said no it's in california not wisconsin and i just well they tried
2: to do it it in madison too though they tried to do it in madison and it's gotten shot down temporarily but no that's but anyways what do you think about the idea
0: well it's awful it's just it's common sense, people. Um, you, we have, we get to have these highly intelligent people. We have to keep them engaged, um, and it shouldn't be. You're right. Why is why are the why are their kids feeling this way? Because usually those kids are identified as a take person. Um, in the younger years, and the uh, school district should have a TAG program, and they go out of the room to work with the TAG teacher on on different mm-hmm. things. Or they can bring materials back to the room and work on it. It would be just like you said, the kids that need support in, in learning, you know, the lower kids, um, they get the support they need, mm-hmm. and it is the school's... Responsibility to make the children meet the children where they are at academically. I right. can't imagine a school doing this. They're going backwards.
2: Yeah, no, you're right, Jane. Thanks for the call. I, I you know, and the other thing is, I. I have always, I guess there's two ways that people can approach stuff. You, I guess on, on the one hand, you can approach stuff as like a, oh, woe is me, I, I wasn't in the honors class, so this is all terrible. Or on the other hand, and, and this is just kinda how I would react and how I did react, okay, it, it motivated me to to, to to work as hard as I possibly could. Oh man, I'd really like to be in that advanced placement history class or I'd really like to be in the advanced placement English class or I really you know what whatever that would be to me it was a motivator to you know want to succeed i want to do really well so i can get into this you know more high powered i i I'd, I'd like to learn about you know economics in high school i don't have to wait to college to do that cuz i think maybe i'd like to major in business and things like that so i'm going to work harder I, I because I want to achieve. But apparently we've reached this point, at least in some places in 2023, where, where that's not it. We don't want people to, to be motivated to try to do their best. We don't want people to work harder to try to achieve. We just want to have one uniform thing for everyone because we don't want some people to feel bad or left out. Now, Let's reward exceptional kids. Let's reward hard work. Let's encourage hard work. And let's recognize that, you know, we we all learn at different levels and we all have different abilities. The trick is not to make us the same, but it's rather to maximize our individual abilities. Period. Case closed. I, I understand it is going to be very difficult to have this next conversation outside the political prism. But the, here, here is the reality. Okay, Joe Biden just went to have his physical. And I'm kind of looking, let's see, there's a couple stories that talk about this. Um, Wall Street Journal... Uh, Biden remains fit for duty, White House doctor says. Now, let me just stop there for a second. Do you really think that the White House doctor would come out and say, my God, I get that. You know, th- there's no way that this guy should be the president of the United States. No, so, I mean, it's it, it's sort of like the White House doctors always say. I was reading a book on, on FDR. And, I mean, okay, a- FDR, a- at the end of his third term, before his fourth term, he he was just a physical wreck. I mean, there's just no question about it, but they intentionally withheld that information. They put out statements to the public about his health that were were overtly false because the White House doctor wasn't going to come out and say, hey, we think this guy's going to die within the next five or six months. Now, I'm not saying it's like that with Biden. I'm just saying that the whole situation is that these doctors – I think you take what they say with regards to, you know, the the health of the president as you, you take it with a grain of salt. But having said that, here's the way The New York Times report this. Biden's physical exam showed he is, quote, fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency, his physician said. Well, that's relief. That's a relief. President Biden is, quote, healthy, vigorous. Is a quote healthy, vigorous eighty years old? Eighty year old. His doctor said Thursday, following a physical exam conducted just weeks before the oldest president in American history is expected to say he is running for a second term. Now, I don't know what when you say he's a healthy, vigorous eighty year old. I don't exactly know what that that means. If if it means okay, when you compare him to other eighty years old, eighty people who are eighty years old. He is healthy and vigorous. Yeah. Does that mean, though, that he is healthy and vigorous when you compare him to a 35 year old? And I think the answer to that is clearly no. But regardless, I and I understand it's tough to divorce this position from politics. And if you are a Democrat, you will take this as a criticism of, you know, Biden as a Democrat. And I don't really mean it that way. I think 80 years old is too old to serve as the President of the United States. And I don't care whether we're talking about a Republican or a Democrat, I think it's too old. If Biden were to run again and be reelected, he would be 82 years old, which means by the end of his second term, he would be 86 years old. I think that is too old. And I would say that if we were talking about an 80-year-old Republican president. I have said before, as much as it pains me, I think Ronald Reagan was one of the greatest presidents, It was the greatest president of my lifetime, but I I think he was too old at the end, and you saw that drop-off. Now, I am not saying that people who are younger cannot experience cognitive drop-offs and things like that, but the truth of the matter is, as we get older, our our skills deteriorate. We are not as cognitively aware. We um our, our motor skills decrease, our hearing decreases, our eyesight decreases. That's just one of the things that comes along with aging. And healthy or vigorous or not I cannot see electing an 82-year-old guy or an 80-year-old guy. 855-616-1620. That is the um, old National Bank talk and text line. Now, you can accuse me of being ageist, but I, I think I'm just saying the-, the reality here. I wish Joe Biden a long and healthy life. Okay? I, I do. A- and, you know, if-, if he runs again and he loses – Or he decides not to run. I I hope, you know, whatever the next chapter of his life is, I hope he can find that to be, you know, rich and rewarding, etc. But I just don't think somebody who is 80 or 82 years old, Republican or Democrat, should be running for president. I think the job demands too much. And, yes, I understand that there's sportscasters. Bob Euchre, for example, he's, you know, Bob Euchre. I a mean, great example of that. But Bob Eukers doesn't have his hand on the nuclear football. He does baseball games when the Brewers are at home, and he does a great job. But that's not the president of the United States. 855-616-1620. Am I wrong? We'll discuss. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, just just to give you a little bit of perspective. Ronald Reagan. Um, He was... Almost 70, 69 years, 349 days when he was sworn into office for his first term, January 20th of 1981. So he was 74 when he was sworn in for his second term. He left office at 78. And I think all of us, all of us, no matter – I'm a huge fan of Ronald Reagan, but he was slipping at the end. And, and part of the thing that happens, too, with age is it, it it's not – and, and we've all perhaps seen this with parents or grandparents or people we know, a lot of times it's not a, a gradual decline. It's like, okay, you go along, you go along, and then all of a sudden, boom, you, you kind of fall off off that that cliff. And, you know, Reagan, he went downhill. He was 78. Joe Biden, he was 78 when he started his first term. He'll be 82 at the end of that first term. I'm sorry, that's too old, at least it's too old to run for re-election. John, on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ.
5: Hey, Jeff. Yep, Hi, John. I'm on your side. You know, uh, 75 and out. That's what everybody that's in the White House, white, black, Republican, Democrat, you're out the door at 75. And that's it. You can't run for nothing else.
2: Yeah, and it, and it's not, It's this, I don't intend this as a knock on Biden, and and, and but it's just, You've you got to get – it's a very, very stressful sort of position. CEOs at many companies are required to be out the door at 65 or 66 or 67. I mean, I, I wish Joe Biden nothing but the best in his continued life, but I, I don't want his hand on the nuclear football at 84 or 85 years old. I just don't think that's good.
5: You're right. Yeah.
2: Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, John. And, and again, I'm, I, I, I want to – I understand – that maybe this raises some hackles because, you know, we're talking about Biden, oh, you're a conservative and stuff. But I, I I'm I would make this point about I, I think Trump was too old. I think he's definitely too old. Trump um, Trump would be, what, seven if he were to run, succeed in running again, and I don't think that's likely to happen. I think he'd be like 78 when he took office. Oh, my God, I, I, I jokingly say, can't we find some 65-year-old whippersnappers or something there? 855-616-1620. Jim in Cadahey. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call.
2: Yes, sir. What do you think?
3: Um, I I I agree. I, I think he's too old for office, and I agree that I, I think if it was a Republican, he'd be too old for office. You know, they, there's plenty of studies out there that say that past the age of seventy, there is some slip in cognitive ability. Is sure. it pronounced in everybody? No. But here's the deal. He's the president of the United States. Don't you want him at 100%? Yeah,
2: right, right, exactly, and you know and even if there's some slippage to your point or to what i was talking about earlier at sometimes that that slippage can start to accelerate and then what what do you do then he he gets reelected at the age of 82 and then all of a sudden within those next 6 months or so that's where you have that that sudden decline there it's it's very very difficult to remove somebody i mean it's just it's just Republican or Democrat. At a certain point in time, it's time to you know head to the barn, and that doesn't mean you have to go float out on an iceberg and stop doing constructive stuff. But it's time to move on. And I think, I think it, when I hear this Biden case, well, he's vigorous for an eighty-year-old. Well, God bless him. I'm great, but that doesn't mean you yeah, should be the God president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, thanks, thanks for, no, thanks for And again. It, I, I mean, God bless him. I think that that's. That's that's great. I also think it says something, and I, I don't mean this to be particular to Biden, but it says something about your ego that you reach that point in your life where you, you think that, oh, gosh, I'm the only person who's, who's capable of doing this job. Jeff, I agree with you. It's too much at stake, and it's too hard to remove him. If it gets bad, there aren't any fast and hard lines to uh, do this. Jeff, I agree. Both parties should have an age limit. I think 75 is good, too. Jeff, I agree with you. There's too much at stake. Um, Jeff, it's kind of like Trump's last physical as president. His doctor proclaimed him fit as a fiddle when he was very obviously very overweight. Jeff, why do we have a mandatory retirement for so many positions in life based on 65, but the leader of the free world is not limited to the same? 80 plus is too old. Yeah, I, I was mentioning that You know, earlier. There are, I, I don't want to say most, but I think it's probably most, you know major companies in this country and most major law firms they they have rules that once you hit 65, that's typically the number, um, it, at that point in time, you you have to start phasing out, if not have to leave dramatically. And and maybe there's provisions to keep you on for an extra year or two if the board signs off on it. But as a general rule, you know, once you hit 65, man, you know, what, what's our retirement age? Depending on when you hit the number, it's 65 or 66 or 67, you know, right right in that sort of area. Uh, but but for the President of the United States, it's going to be 80? Well, he might be a vigorous 80-year-old, which I think is, is great. Then you can, you know, spend some time chasing your grandkids around or, or whatever, or playing golf or starting your think tank or doing whatever. But that doesn't mean you should be the leader of the free world. Jeff, you're absolutely right. Everyone, no matter what their career, eventually has to think about that, whether it's mental or physical. But at some point, somebody younger than you is better than you. Jeff, I agree with you. Joe Biden, I think he's mentally challenged. I think he's a frail 80. Um, Okay, I I don't I don't even want to get to that point. I don't know. I I think maybe for 80, he is, um, you know, he's maybe for 80. He's, you know, uh, great. Don't know. Um eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, it's interesting that you use Bob Eucher as an example because even he realized at his age he cannot announce every single inning. Well he he doesn't work every game. I mean, he, he works the home games. He doesn't go on the road anymore. Um, and that's that's just the, the reality. I mean, it's just for a variety of reasons. Jeff, regardless of my political leanings, I agree with you. I feel there should be an age restriction for presidential candidates. I see my parents, who were active and always young for their age, slowing down physically and mentally now in their 80s. It's just the reality of that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's it. Um, Jeff, I think the likelihood of a president fus- fulfilling a full term at the age of eighty or eighty plus is not very likely Jeff, I think sixty is too old i don't think I think we should stop voting for geriatrics yeah I mean I think there's you know i i again i I don't know how we got into this this situation where the the only choices are people like Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Again, let's put the politics aside. You know, the, these old white guys and stuff can't can't we find young white guys or or maybe you know heaven forbid a, a woman in her forties or fifties like Nikki Haley? Oh, that would be just incredible, huh? Um, so I I guess look and and everybody. You know, everybody, there, there's a time when you have to leave. I get this snarky email saying, well, what about like guys on the radio? You know, when when should you pull a play? There, there'll be a time. There's there's no question you know about it when and I'm I'm sure I mean <laughs> every once in a while when people think they want to hurt my field you should retire I don't like this and I I, I will tell you that my bosses at WTMJ could not disagree more you know and I, and I appreciate that but still I mean there there's a time will I be doing this at the age of eighty Heck no a- absolutely not if if I'm still around then there's all sorts of stuff you want to do and you reach a certain point but it also depends on what the job that you are in is and what I do for a living, what Bob Euchre does for a living. Well, that's, that's different than again, having your hands on the nuclear football, right? Um, so Joe Biden, he's a vigorous, healthy 80. I wish him the best of luck and a long life, but I just don't think somebody at that age should be reelected to another term as the president of the United States, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, period. I am so very glad that we, you survived the snowstorm of yesterday and in the process of digging out. I mean, the the good news is this winter has been relatively mild in southeastern Wisconsin, which isn't to say that there haven't been some some cold snaps and, of course, you had the snow. And it's not to suggest that there might not be more as we move over the next six or eight weeks. But the bottom line is, is, and as I've mentioned before, once you get to this stage in the year, well, like, for example, over the weekend, it's supposed to get up into the 40s around southeastern Wisconsin. So a a lot of that snow is going to start to melt. It's not like when you get eight or ten inches of snow in early January, then you get that huge freeze and it's around for, you know, weeks and weeks. At this point in time, you know, even if you get the snow, it tends to disappear relatively quickly. So that's the good news. Daylight hours are increasing. Spring training baseball has started. Got a baseball topic coming up in the first half of the next hour. Um, spring training baseball is starting to get underway. So it, it's, it's all good. We are getting through the winter. I have a cautionary tale for you. And I think you know, it would be good advice under any circumstances, but particularly now, uh, do not lose your credit card. Because that's the show of hands. Anybody who at one point in time ha- or other has lost their credit card, and, and I know if, if that's you, you go, oh my gosh, I've lost the credit card, and there's this moment of panic where you have to call the credit card company, you know, cancel it, and get a replacement, and things like that. Well, you don't want to lose your credit card, number one, because you just don't want to lose your credit card. But secondly, it, this is one of the kind of undercovered stories. It is taking a lot longer to get a replacement credit card that's out there. There is a global semiconductor shortage. You know we've been hearing you know since the, the pandemic started about how the automobile and technology sectors, um, ha- have been struggling because they haven't been able to get the computer chips, you know, the chips that they need to, you know, pro- to put in the cars and stuff, and, and everything is computerized and things like that. Well, now apparently what's happening is that th- this chip shortage has started to work its way down into the, the credit card industry because, you know, now when you get the credit cards, there are almost always these chip cards that they insert Wait times of six weeks or more have become common, and that is particularly true if you are a credit union member. used to be, you know, five to ten days, boom, you've got your new card. Now, again, up to like six weeks, and they say the problem is not going to go away. They estimate that even though manufacturers are projected to produce three billion of these different kinds of credit cards this year, Expect credit card deliveries to lag throughout most of the year. So the bottom line is, if you've got that credit card, don't lose it, because it might take you several weeks to get a new one, and nobody wants that.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This is, of course, our last hour
2: together for this week. A lot of stuff to cover. Pop culture quarter at the bottom of the hour. I just a uh, couple new postings up on my Twitter account, um, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. This is uh, it, it is a frustration to me. There we, we talk a lot about reckless driving on this program, and uh, but my my problem is so much of the solutions that are talked about are are really nothing but virtue signaling. Now there is what is described as a bipartisan series of bills that are moving through the legislature. And I know some of the people who are responsible for putting together and they're well-intentioned. But the the first idea is that uh, one bill would allow the, would take the fines for reckless driving. And currently a first offense, reckless driving offense comes with a maximum fine of $200. That bill would increase the sum to $400. Second reckless driving violation would cost the driver up to $1,000. Okay, so we're gonna increase the fines. What's the problem with that? Okay, did you see the story? 77% of reckless driving tickets over the last three years are unpaid. It doesn't matter whether the fines are $200 or $400 or $1,000 or a $1,000,000. The people who are engaging in reckless driving aren't paying the fines they don't care in many 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 cases it's people without driver's licenses it's people without um, insurance they don't care. Now I understand for like lots of people that would be a big deal. Hey, I don't want to I I don't want to have a reckless driving ticket because I don't want to have to see my insurance go up. Well, if you don't have insurance, you don't care about that. So, nothing happens to you. So, just taking a $200 fine and making it 400, who cares? If you're not going to pay the $200 fine, you're not going to pay the $400 fine. Increasing fines is nothing but virtue signaling. Period. Now, if you want to, now, one of the other bills that's out there is increasing the maximum sentence for reckless driving, causing great bodily harm, taking it from 18 months to three years. I don't have a problem with that. But but why do we have to wait till somebody damn near kills somebody? My point is if the if people really had the stones to deal with this here's what we would do we would take second offense drunk uh, reckless driving and just like with drunk driving we would criminalize it so you blow through that red light for the second time going 100 miles an hour in the 30 mile an hour zone boom it is a crime it's not a here's a $400 fine that you're not going to pay it's a crime on top of that What I would do is I would also, and there's another bill that's floating around, which would give municipalities more authority to tow the cars impound them, and hold them until somebody comes. You don't get your car back until you pay the fine, and if you're driving without a license, show that you have a license. I'm all in favor of that. But if we really want to stop reckless driving, you've got to just stop fooling around with these half measures. We have to treat it seriously. We have to treat multiple offense, drunk reckless driving as a fine and as a crime, and we have to start taking cars. And unless and until we do that, things aren't going to get better. Giving somebody a $400 fine isn't going to make any difference at all. And I've got a link to that post up on my Twitter account. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Okay. There is a huge story that we, we talked about about a month and a half ago. And it's now starting to come to fruition. Major League Baseball. And let me say at the start here, you're going to be able to hear every single Brewers game on 620 WTMJ, on the radio. TV is a different sort of situation. Here's what's going on. Um, Sinclair Broadcast Group, which is a big national TV concern, they, they have all sorts of local TV stations as well. They have a, a subsidiary called Diamond Sports Group, and Diamond Sports Group owns the rights to um, to televise baseball games for 14 major league baseball teams and they, they operate under Bally sports. So the Milwaukee Brewers, for example, that the rights to show Brewers games are owned by the, this diamond sports group. Here's the problem. Diamond sports group has been losing money on, on these deals between the prices that they had to pay for rights fees to get the, the rights to show the games versus what they're able to charge for example local cable providers as more people cut the cord they're losing money and what happened is they were supposed to come out and make a 140 million dollar interest payment on on Wednesday, and they, they missed it so they, they didn't they didn't make the payment and this wasn't necessarily a surprise a lot of people are saying that this is going to be a precursor to them going into bankruptcy and if they go into bankruptcy it is possible nobody knows for sure how this plays it out but it it's possible that the rights to all these different uh, baseball franchises for example their their rights might revert back to major league baseball and the teams in which case the teams are going to be scrambling to try to find providers that will will run the games and the problem, of course, is if it doesn't make financial sense for Diamond Sports Group, the Bally Sports Group, to run these regional sports networks, you know, what's baseball going to be able to do? How are they going to be able to find some other local provider that's going to be able to do it? Now, baseball, I think, understands that it's important to have these games televised. Because even though baseball and the radio is great, you want to also, you know, be able to see the games. And if you can't see the games, maybe that affects interest and it affects attendance. But it, it's a real a real conundrum, to take a college reading word, right now. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. We might have discussed this a couple a month or two ago when, when this was just a possibility, but now it's starting to become a, a potential reality. That reality being, okay, the, the TV providers have, have for 14 of these networks have missed their their payment, missed their interest payment, and it's looking more and more likely they might want to get out of the deal by declaring bankruptcy. So the question becomes, how important is local television, whether it's on cable um or over the air, how important is that to baseball fans? 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. And if... If the locally televised games were to go away, how would that impact you as a baseball fan? 855 616 1620. We discuss in just a moment.
0: 855 616
2: 1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. You know, I think. I mean th- this is all a very very fluid situation but Bally Sports Network their their parent company has just defaulted on on a, an interest payment that they had and the smart people are saying it looks like they're going to look at declaring bankruptcy now that that doesn't mean that they're going to stop carrying the games what it means is that maybe they're going to try to restructure the deals and negotiate um at at the very least I think my guess is this year brewers games are, are going to continue to be aired as as scheduled um i don't know about what it means for the bucks games into next fall and you know it's who knows but it's a very very fluid situation but it's a huge issue i think for major league baseball because i i think as as wonderful as radio is and we're thrilled to have the ball games and stuff like that i think a lot of people also want to watch the games as well todd in watertown todd you're on WPMJ.
5: Hey, howdy, uh, howdy, Jeff! Uh, what a great, great topic. Um, hey, you know, I uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the only reason I, I keep Directv is because of that uh, uh, to watch the, the the Brewers. That you know, and then once in a while at night, I'd be like, oh, maybe the Bucks are playing, and I'll and I'll uh, yep. click on uh, uh, the Bucks game and and catch that as kind of a bonus. But you know, between uh, the TV and the radio. Um, I I enjoy radio and then I just enjoy the, you know, painting, you know, know, how Euchre paints the picture, um, you know, in your mind of the game. So I I probably, uh, gosh, honest to God, I I probably watch or listen to at least 140 to 150 games a year. And the ones that I don't get are the West Coast late games, but it's super important to me. Um, It'll be a, a uh, uh, crying shame if if we can't get it, and I don't. I think it's an open opportunity for somebody maybe to step in and uh, and take that place if it's possible.
2: Well, Todd, thanks for the call. I mean, I think you know that's, and I think that. I mean, look, Major League Baseball. The, the commissioner is saying that they'll, they'll figure something out, and, it, and if nothing else, if if Bally's defaults, you know what they'll do is they'll. I mean, work to try to find some other sort of provider, or maybe try to take this all in house. I do think. The future of this, and this is just my, my assessment, the future of this is less over the air, less cable, and more streaming. I just think that that's kind of the way it's going to go because, you know, you make the point, Todd, it would be great if somebody else would come in and, and run this. Well, the problem is the, the business model right now is, is broken. Um, because, I mean, obviously the baseball teams and the basketball teams, whatever, they want they want the most right fees they can get. Can't fault them for that. It's it's a business. But what the providers are finding, these regional sports networks, is between the money they have to pay out for the rights to run them and then the money that they are able to get in from the, the cable operators um, saying, okay, well, you know, we want to run. We, we want to carry Bally Sports Network, so we're going to charge you you know, X amount of dollars. What they're finding is that it's tough to come up with a profit. So that's where you find yourself. And I I don't know how that business model is going to work. My guess is it's going to be, I think, more of a streaming sort of of thing. Now, what that means for small and medium-sized market baseball teams, if they have to like produce all their own stuff, that's a that's a different challenge. Jeff, I was really happy when uh, baseball was on Channel 18. I wish it would go back to regular TV. I know it won't happen, but I'm not willing to pay for cable just to watch the Brewers. Now, that's that's kind of the issue. Now, I know a number of other people who. Um, used to watch the ball games when they were on. I want to say Hulu, and you know now you know Hulu. I, I think dropped them because it just it. it They didn't think that people would be willing to pay the extra fees to carry them. That's the dynamic that's out there. Jeff, the whole experience for watching local sports, I I think, is terrible. Not uh, sure who is to blame, but something clearly needs to be done. I think the NBA and MLB need to step up in a big way. Jeff, it's it's terrible news if the games go off TV. I'm retired and watch about 90% of the Brewer games that are on TV. Last year, I saw three live games. I guess I'd have to listen to more brewers games on the radio i'm not interested in watching other teams play yeah that's this is the way sports is going to look i i think over the next few years is going to be dramatically different and there's no there's no bad guys here it, it, it isn't i mean it's a it is a business, and the business model has changed. You know, for one of our texters who was saying, boy, I really wish this was on, you know, I wish they were on local TV and things. Well, that's, that's not going to happen because, you know, the, the days where you'd have, I don't know, like Channel Eighteen or whatever that would pay and carry X amount of games. The rights fees are so dear that is they just they just can't figure out a way to make money on them. And even the regional sports networks are are struggling. The story I'm looking at says the Bucks. This is from the uh, Milwaukee Business Journal. Um, the Bucks Valley Sports pays the Bucks about twenty seven million dollars per year and pays the Brewers about thirty four million per year for the rights. And the question becomes: Okay, so they shell that out, and then they do all the production. How much can they bring in? And I mean, I'm, it's not specific to Milwaukee because they own fourteen different networks. But they've they've missed their rights fee payments, and that's that. They've missed their interest payment, setting the stage for bankruptcy. And that's not a good place to be. An interesting story from the world of sports. Um, Tiger Woods is making his return to competitive golf. Tiger Woods, who, of course, was involved in that catastrophic automobile accident a couple of years ago. Um, he's actually, it was, you know, he was doing something at, it's the site of the old Los Angeles Open. Uh, they now call it the Genesis Invitational. But, you know, for for all of us who remember that story I mean there was a question whether he was going to survive that that car crash that he was involved in and uh, much less you know come back and, and play competitive golf so he's was playing he's been playing in that tournament and actually I I was just kind of looking this up it's um it looks like well right now it looks like he's going to miss the cut he he finished two rounds um he finished uh, two rounds at uh, he's now one over par he was two under yesterday and then kind of fell back today he's um, he 's one over par right now, the projected cut is um at even par so I guess that that could, could potentially change, but at least as it stands right now, he's outside of the cut line, which I'm sure um, isn't going to make some of the, the TV people happy. Because when you got Tiger Woods, you've got this, you know, you've got guaranteed TV ratings. But regardless, it, it's still an incredible success story, and um, I think Tiger Woods has been great for golf no question about it, and um, it's just, it's, it's a kind of amazing that being involved in that kind of a catastrophic automobile accident, that he's able to walk, number one, and number two, at his age, play competitive golf, so Tiger Woods right now on the outside of the cut line didn't do as well today as he did yesterday, but who knows how that's ultimately going to turn out. This is another one of these stories, I, it is a movie, that I'm not going to go see. Everybody probably knows about, like, Alec Baldwin and the fact that there's now been criminal charges brought about against Alec Baldwin and the one of the, the people responsible for handling guns on the scene of that movie, Rust, and this is the one where we've talked about this before, where uh, a gun that supposedly was not supposed to have a live bullet in it, why there is live ammunition on a set of a movie is always beyond me. But anyhow, Alan, Alec Baldwin ends up He says he didn't pull the trigger. The FBI says he does. And he ended up shooting a uh, camera person. That movie has been on hold. Alec Baldwin, along with others in connection with this, are looking at criminal charges. The announcement today is that um, they're going to resume filming they have suspended the um, they suspended filming you know when, when all this happened, but apparently they're they're going to come back and Alec Baldwin, despite the fact that he is looking at felony criminal charges in connection with the death, they're going to go ahead and they're going to resume the filming of this if there were ever a movie that maybe the circumstances were such that you said, you know, maybe this is one that we should just kind of let it go and try to collect whatever insurance money might be there. I think this would be it. But for those of you who want to see the movie Rust, apparently uh, this spring they are going to resume filming of it. I think I'm going to pass.
1: Gather round all. It's time for Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Time to put aside the heavy lifting and have a good time at the Old National Bank talking text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank, get old. Now, here's Jeff Wagner. It's Pop Culture Corner time, brought to you by Palermo's
2: Pizza. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza, and courtesy of Palermo's, as we do... For one caller during this segment, in the exclusive discretion of my producer, Charlie, um, you will win a Palermo's Pizza Prize Pack. That's coupons good for two of their great pizzas. This Palermo's pizza, pizza Cutter, which is really, really cool. A pizza cooler and sticky notes. How about that? Charlie gets to make that call. It is one caller, though. We'll, we'll get a lot of text, but this is for the callers. So, what's the thing going on in the pop culture world this week? Yesterday... One of what they think might be the big superhero movies of the year debuted Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, which is kind of, okay, this is one of the latest movies in the, the, the latest. The, the latest series of, of big Marvel movies. But there's a lot of superhero movies that are going to be coming out in this year. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is due to come out May 5th. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, that's coming out in June. The Flash is coming out in June. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom are scheduled to uh, debut on Christmas Day and a couple others. On top of that, you've got the um, fifth Indiana Jones movie that picks up, with Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford is, of course, 80 years old, but he is he's back in the Indiana Jones character. And I'm, I'm, I'm told that that's it's kind of an interesting movie. I think that debuts sometime in June. So you've got a number of these big blockbuster movies that are coming out. And I, I thought that's what we would talk about today. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I want you to think about blockbuster movies. You know, the, the really big, the Christmas debuts, the, the summertime movies, you know, the, the big, super successful movies. And my question to you is, what's the best blockbuster movie of all time? We're going to do it in recognition of the superhero movies coming out and the, the Marvel movies coming out. Is it, is it is it from the Star Wars canon? Is it? You know, Indiana Jones, is it Raiders of the Lost Ark? But that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about blockbusters. You know, the big movies that everybody rushes out to see. You know, some of them um, are really, really good, some of them not so much, but the best blockbuster movie of all time, 855 That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. Uh, we'll be back with your calls and your texts in just a moment.
1: Pop Culture Time. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner.
2: Five six one six one six twenty, 1620 which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, so the, the new Marvel movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, which is not getting great reviews. But what do the reviewers know? Um, that debuted yesterday. The hope is this is going to be a huge blockbuster movie. I, I don't know. But I thought it was kind of inspiring. Let's talk about blockbuster movies and what you think is the best. And, again, you can define blockbuster however you want. But I think, you know, we all know that, that, that huge movie that was kind of dominant at its time. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, for me... Number one would be the sound of music. Well, the sound of music would definitely qualify as a uh, as a blockbuster. No question about it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's see. Um, for me, it was the Dark Knight. Now well, that was one of the big black, uh, Batman movies. Jeff, for me, I would say the original Star Wars. Um, whether it's entertainment and rewatching ability, um, it sort of cracked open the film industry at the time and led to an entire movement. So. Many amazing films were released in that spirit until the mid '80s or so. Okay, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Karen in New Berlin. Karen, good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon.
2: Okay, I best blockbuster of all time. There kind. was
0: a lot of good ones. But... Did... Oh, I got turned my radio
2: off. Okay, I can hear you, Karen. Go ahead. Oh, okay, Karen.
0: I. Well, I think Black Panther because it had more depth than the other superheroes,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. it just,
2: right. well, it, it, it just clearly had was more depth. Yeah, no, thanks for calling, Karen. I mean, it was clearly you know that, and you know it's going to be interesting. Is I think the the sequel that they, they came out with last year, you are going to have um, a couple. I think you are going to have a couple Oscars come out of that, and you almost never have these. You know, it, it as there are exceptions. But uh, some of these big blockbusters, it's rare that they get rewarded in the Oscars. I mean, it happens from time to time. But it's it's rare. I mean, The the Godfather, for goodness sakes, didn't win Best Picture. Um, Let's talk to, uh, let's see, we've got Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
5: Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you?
2: I'm good. Best blockbuster of all time.
5: For me, it's
4: Jaws. I think that's kind of what started the genre of blockbusters, Yep. And I was nine years old when that come, came out. I wanted to see it the whole summer, and, you know, my parents wouldn't take me. And then finally my dad came home from work one day in September and said, hey, you want to go see it? I'm like, yes. And, oh, my God, I will never forget a couple of those scenes. The head mm-hmm. popping out. Um, the boy, I don't even want to say the one other one on the raft. But either right. way, it was incredible, and I, I think it's the best.
2: Yeah, no, thanks for call, Mike. You know, a lot of people would agree that was really – it used to be that the summer was kind of like the wasteland for movies. People with I mean, the, the thinking was, oh, nobody goes to see movies in the summer, they're out doing all sorts of other stuff. And Jaws completely redid that. I mean, I I know exactly what you're talking about, Mike. I I mean, I and I've told this story before. I mean, I remember seeing it in a movie theater, and I remember the, the girl, the woman I was dating at the time, when that when the shark popped out of the water, you know, two thirds of the way through the boat. I I she I think I still have marks in my arm from where she grabbed my arm. I think the the fingerprints are still there. I mean, it was a really really good movie, Jeff. For me, it was the original 1980 Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think it's the most perfect action flick ever. Just the first sequences in South America were perfection. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Ra- that, I, that was just incredible. I, I think you can make a strong argument uh, about uh, about Raiders, and it's, that's always been, of the four that they've come out with, that's always been, I think, my favorite one. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Greg in Greenfield. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hi, Jeff. i got to say Hi. the blockbuster would have to be Maverick. Um, the nostalgia and Tom Cruise does it again. So. Yeah, it's funny. I, he, I have he has the yeah, the minus touch.
2: Yeah, you know it's it's funny. I have a couple of texts that have made exactly the point. A recent one that absolutely lived up to its billing is Top Gun Maverick. I have to I have to confess, my wife saw it without me. I have not seen that movie yet, but it's definitely on my list, and it's also one that I think I need to see on the big screen. Right? Yeah,
4: absolutely, especially like you know, just hearing the IMAX, the whole entire experience. It, it just something to be nostalgic especially like reliving you know the original yeah. top gun so
2: yeah yeah no thanks for call. I, I think you know that's it, it's tough to recreate these but i i know everybody i know that saw top gun maverick everybody i know has absolutely you know loved it and they've said it's as good if not better than the original tom and green bay tom you're on wtmj
5: Hi Jeff, I like to nominate uh, Titanic. Came out during okay. Christmas time. I've seen it sure. three, four times at the theater, and I thought the music score uh, was haunting. I just love it.
2: Yeah, it's um, th- thanks for the call, Tom. I-, I appreciate it. You know, Titanic is one of those movies that you either most people love it. Made a fortune. Most people love it. And then there's a handful of us that I, I it just did nothing for me, I, and I don't I don't know if it was the mood I was in the night I saw it. I, I can remember we saw it at a movie theater on the south side, right off the freeway. I forget, kind of down in Oak, the Oak Creek area, something like that. But I, I remember I thought it was long. I I didn't. I'm not really a, a, a Leonardo DiCaprio fan, so I I just I, for whatever reason, and I've and I've never seen it again. So I fully acknowledge that I might be doing the movie a disservice. But it was I, I'm in that small category of oh my gosh, is this thing ever ever going to end? Let's talk to um, Jamie in Fredonia. Jamie, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff. Hi Jamie. Best blockbuster.
3: Uh, I'd like to, oh, I'd like to nominate Independence Day with oh, yeah. Will Smith and Bill Pullman.
2: You know that uh, one of our texters actually says that they the, correctly that that kind of changed the game when it comes to uh, special effects, and um, plus, you know, you've got you know Angela Bassett; she was just great in, in that movie. It was it it was, it was it was it was a great movie. It was perfect for its time, no question about it, and it made a ton of money.
3: Yeah, it was it was good, and Bill Pullman's speech about Independence Day, right, still gets me.
2: Right, No, great movie, well worth seeing. Let's talk to Curly in Germantown. You're on WTMJ.
3: Hey Jeff, how you doing?
2: I'm good. What's the, what's your nomination?
3: I'm thinking of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. I'm really dating myself back in the fifties.
2: Oh. Well, you know, I mean, but I tell you that you're right. That's 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 in the fifties, but that's a movie. You know, seventy years later, sixty years later, that, that still stands up. They show that every Easter, and the the Cecil DeMille, B. DeMille special effects are just absolutely staggering in that.
3: I remember seeing it in grade school, and I'm 76 years old right now.
2: So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> figure that
5: well, out. <laughs>
2: well, 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 Cur- well, that's Curly. Um, actually, you know, for for being a fan for so long, uh, my producer Charlie says you are the winner of our Palermo's prize package. So I know he's gotten the information. So you get pizzas and a pizza cutter and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So enjoy a couple pizzas on me.
3: Hey, life is good. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Yes, life is good. There's no question about it. John in Manitowoc. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Well, I could give you a line of the move from the movie. Uh, Jeff, I play. Coach stays. He goes. I go. I love <laughs> Hoosiers. I really do. I think it's one of the greatest movies, sports movies of all time, and the score is terrific as
1: well.
2: Yeah, Dennis Hopper, Gene Hackman. Yeah, it's, you know, there are you know, I I know people who will get into heated arguments exactly making the point that you just made greatest sports movie of all time. Hey, thanks to call John there's no There's there's no question about it. Now, I'm not sure I would classify that as a as a blockbuster, but yeah. Um okay, let me I've, I've fallen behind on our texts. We're getting a ton of them. ET. ET was Definitely a, a huge blockbuster. Jeff, I know I'm different, but I will take John Wick, all the movies. Well, that's right. John Wick 4 is coming out sometime, uh, this, this fall, uh, this, uh, this spring, I think. And I, I admit I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big John Wick fan as well. Jeff, you love Jaws, but not Titanic. Yeah, I love Jaws, but not Titanic. That's, that's it. You can take that for what you were. Uh, Jeff, for me, it's Rocky. Oh, that is a great – and that's one of these movies that just kind of came out of nowhere, the original Rocky. But, yeah, that was a huge success. Jeff, for me, it's Pirates of the Caribbean, the whole series. I think the first Pirates of the Caribbean definitely was a great movie. I think, you know, afterwards – I think the series kind of went downhill as, as it moved on, but there's no question. I think that was just a tremendous movie. Jeff, for me, blockbuster movie. It's the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You see, we forget about these things, you know. And, and it seems like almost every year. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this segment. Almost every year, there, there's one big kind of popcorn movie that just dominates the conversation, whether it's whether it's Jaws, or whether it's The Godfather, you know, or, you know, you, you name it. There's like what Star Wars would be another one of those examples. You have that one big movie, and The Lord of the Rings, um, especially the first one, but the, the other ones that came out as well. Um, I think, you know, that clearly, you know, fits into the category. Um, let's see, Jeff, how about A Few Good Men? Yeah, that was a pretty good when a lot of people are saying Raiders of the Lost Ark you know I think when it comes to blockbusters for me it would either be Jaws or it would be Raiders of the Lost Ark and I I I agree I absolutely I mean I love I, I love Raiders there's just no question about it and I think I just I'll be curious as to how that works out with Harrison Ford at the age of 80. Jeff Gladiator Saturday Night Fever, Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan. I re- boy, I remember seeing that at the theater. They used to have it. They used to call it Brown Point, Brownport. Now it's they call it River Point. But I remember that. Jeff, I'd have to go with Braveheart, um, Rocky. To me, it's The Fugitive. Really, um, anything Forrest Gump. You know, I'm surprised. Forrest Gump and Saving Private Ryan. Both of those, I think, would certainly classify as. Um, I think both of them would certainly classify as blockbusters. Well, the bottom line is there are going to be blockbusters coming out this year, whether it's the John Wick movie, whether it's the Ant-Man movie, whether it's the new Raiders movie that's going to be coming out, Guardians of the Galaxy, lots of opportunities to go back to the movies and see these films on a big screen, and we'll be around to talk about it. Okay, that's it for Pop Culture Corner this week. Thank you so very much for participating.